The year is 1972. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. a comic book reading club and podcast where we are reading through Marvel's origins through today, 10 essential stories at a time. My Marvelous Year Club is excited today to bring you 1972 Part 1 as we make our way into, I think, more formally the Bronze Age of Marvel Comics. I'm Dave Busing, the founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com, and I'm joined today on the other line by that guy you all know and love, the world's biggest Rick Jones fan, uh, Zach Dean. You've been relying a lot on those for my nicknames of just like, what does Zach hate? I think you just called me the the my co-host, the Roy Thomas of podcast or something. I'm just, make any I'm sense. just calling just... you the things you don't like. Yeah, yeah that's not exactly. particularly clever, I have to say. <laughs> I'll need to I'll need to work on this. But here's the thing. Big year for Rick Jones. God, don't don't talk to me about it. It's it's ridiculous. Well, well we're going to talk about it because we're going really through gonna, some pre-scroll yeah. war comics today. Um, we've got a whole lot. We've got kind of a hodgepodge here in 72 of yeah, new titles yeah. that are launching, yeah, of, of new directions. So I don't, what was your like overall feel on what was kind of a kind of a weird batch of comics to read just in that it was, you know, like pretty disconnected? I really liked it. I, uh, I actually loved this, this batch generally, except until we get to Avengers. Avengers kind of dragged me back into the Silver Age a bit yeah I think. right um yeah but otherwise like this feels like the first year that we've read where we're just like okay this is a new era like everything has a distinct feel even if some of these stories feel like they would fit in the silver age just the way that they're being told and the the kind of plot mechanics and the the, the overall tone feels feels new to me so yeah this is I, I just wrote in the slack like if anyone's still feeling the feeling mired in the silver age you know make it to 72 because i think this is where things start to feel a little fresh. Yeah, so just to tease it out for you, we've got really the origins of Beast, as we know him, of Luke Cage, of Shaun of the She-Devil, and of the one and only Dracula. So we've got a lot of new stuff, a lot of new blood, if you will. Uh, Is that a Dracula? Okay. (laughs) How many count from Sesame Streets are you going to get today, if you had to guess? What's the line? I'm going to put the over-under at like 20, and I'm taking the over. How many times you're going to do a count impression yeah mm-hmm. it's an easy bet for me to win because I'm, <laughs> I'm betting on yeah. myself always bet on yourself you know yeah because you just keep a pen and paper and tick off a box every time yeah, uh, yeah. It, it won't be i hard. don't know zero please god <laughs> well, well we're already down to one so <laughs> yeah, i know i lost but i'm that i'm that adamant that this happened all right let's get into it yeah, uh, yeah. actually before we do if you like my marvelous year uh despite the count from sesame street references on my part uh please rate and review on iTunes. I'll understand if you don't, though, after that. We will definitely understand. And if you really like the show, uh, please head on over to patreon.com slash year and find some ways that you can support Zach and myself as we attempt to reach our stretch goal of doing, of adding an Ultimate Universe podcast 
So on top of the My Marvelous Year Club, if we hit this goal, we would also do an Ultimate Universe podcast. And I got to tell you, guys, I'm already doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of work. <laughs> and the, slow, the more people. time we can take to get there, the better. So I'm going to say, hey, please do that because it's nice. But, you know, wink, wink. Let's let's take our time, right? This is going to slowly veer into people genuinely being like, well, Dave doesn't actually want my money, which boils down to Zach doesn't get any of my money. So pl- please stop. Please stop discouraging them. <laughs> Just send nice notes and rate and review. That's all I need on okay. iTunes. I, I would like your cash, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get into Marvel Team-Up, number one, first issue on the list. And yeah, Marvel Team-Up's a book now. We got yeah, a new series is... that is all about uh, Spider-Man teaming up with different characters throughout the <laughs> yeah, Marvel Universe. Say, it says Marvel Team-Up, but it's really Spider-Man Team-Up. Mm-hmm. I, I counted on uh, Marvel Unlimited, there's 67 Spider-Man comics. Or sorry, there's 67 Marvel Team-Up issues on Marvel Unlimited of this volume, and 62 of them are Spider-Man and. And then I think the other five are Human Torch and. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's generally, you know, you want to see Spider-Man play off somebody? Here you go. Which is actually great. Like, I can't think of anyone except maybe the thing who would like be as fun to bounce off other characters and so I don't do you, think he would do you know well. the thing's going to be the marvel two-in-one guy oh did yeah, you know that right. when you said that okay yeah no I, so I forgot when about they launched that, marvel two-in-one yeah that's a thing team up book so yeah, that that makes sense totally too. true yeah i mean yeah, it's the I'm, characters who definitely coming out of the 60s are really the most fun to hang out with you know they have the best quips the best jokes and in a lot of cases have like the most nuance to their character well, i think the thing, the thing that makes spider-man work as a um as like a team a teammate for these is because he's he's probably the least exposed to like the wider Marvel universe. So you know him teaming That's up true. with Ghost Rider, you, you kind of just want to see it because you're like, what's Peter Parker going to say about this man with his skull on fire, right? Like, what's Peter Parker going to say to Wolverine? Like, how are they going to interact? Because he's the most you know I don't know average Joe. Well, he's very he's very literally street level. Like he's the he's like the boy next door actually probably more. He's a, he's the like reader surrogate. For the you know most of all out of any yes. of these people, okay, right? yeah, sure. So I think I think that's fun, and just the way that he reacts is very like dry and sardonic for you know probably these big cosmic characters that he's going to team up with. I think there's like a Spider-Man and Adam Warlock <laughs> issue maybe and stuff like that. So. Yeah, so I think what you're describing is is part of the appeal of Marvel Team Up. That's not what Marvel Team Up number one is because no. it very much it's a Johnny Storm and Peter Parker team which up, seen. which yeah. very much feels like a a subplot in either Amazing or Fantastic Four. Um, you know, it actually feels a bit like Johnny's solo stories in Strange Tales so from the 60s. You, let's go to one of my favorite segments. Why'd you do it, Dave? So why, 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 Marvel, why did I put this issue? Why, why I mean, number one and not one of the ones that felt a little bit more... Uh, definitely, yeah. it's just a, it definitely it's a little sample platter feel yeah. of like, okay. hey, Marvel Team-Up's a book. You might want to check that out in more detail. Um, I like, I do quite like Spider-Man and Torch stories. I like their sort of frenemy relationship. Yeah, it's pretty fun. entertaining. I think more often than not. I mean, this one isn't. It's not super special. They so here's what happens. Um, I actually my first note on this is I have very little to say about this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's not like a super plot heavy thing. I mean, basically, Spidey and the Torch spend Christmas Eve going around New York helping people out. <laughs> They're just kind of helping oh, strangers. I, I do like it's on Christmas though. I'm a big Christmas boy. I don't know if you know that about me. I'm a big Christmas boy. And, I know uh, <laughs> two things about you. One, you're big. Two, Christmas. Yep. Three, boy. Um, oh, right. Yeah. forgot that. Uh, yeah. I just, I like the fact that this, I feel like it's always just, you know, nice weather in New York is what we see for Spider-Man year round. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of nice to see the like, acknowledgement of the changing of the seasons. Uh, I like that. And I also liked Johnny Storm's 70s fashion where he's wearing like a green polka dot shirt, a pink yeah. vest, and a blue ascot. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah, that was fun. It, yeah, it's a Sandman issue. They're fighting the Sandman who crawls out of the ocean and starts attacking beachgoers for no reason. He's still um, wearing that garbage Frightful yeah, Four. Yeah, He's yeah, not yeah. just wearing his, his striped tee anymore. We got to get Sandman out of that costume because it's it's embarrassing. He's trying to be somebody he's not, and I don't think anybody feels good about it. Um, but yeah, they fight Sandman for a while. Ultimately, they find out he's trying just to get to his mom on Christmas to, to wish her a happy holidays. And uh, Peter... <laughs> Spider-Man. It's a wild move. It, one of the the craziest thing in the issue. He sees <laughs> yeah. Sandman going in there. He says, you can't go in there without a present. He gives Sandman, Flint Marco, a man who has tried to murder him on multiple occasions, Gwen oh, Stacy's like present. Gives, her, to gives him Gwen's present. Hmm. So now Peter has no present for Gwen. And you talked about, I think, the last time we recorded, um, sort of the... I don't know, the indignities that superhero relationships that the, like Gwen the, Stacy specifically Gwen Stacy has to deal yeah. with this. If she knew about this one, she probably she never finds out, <laughs> but man, come on, Peter. This, like, this felt like one of those like self sabotage like Peter is looking for a way out of this relationship. <laughs> and yeah, you know, th- this felt like him sabotaging this relationship on purpose. Yeah, right. It, that's, it's a bit much. I mean, it's a nice gesture, but. There's there's yeah. going too far, and then um, Sandman yeah. they, they let they let him go in by himself, and then he sneaks out through the sink. But then they see that his mother has the uh, the pin that he gave him, you know, pinned on her lapel, and it, it's a little sweet, I guess. I like yeah. the I mean, it starts to lean into like, oh yeah, the Sandman's just kind of like this, you know, lower middle class street tough guy who has these powers too, which I like. You know, he's not this big huge, which we've kind of gotten away hero. from. As he's yeah. been, because he's again like the costume is a testament to this. He's kind of like big supervillain stock guy, you know. He a doesn't bunch really of have a lot of personality to do various powers, and yeah, it's yeah. I, I want him back in his uh, green striped shirt. Absolutely. So again, not a ton to say there. Marvel team ups a book. It's going to be a book for a while. Um, and yeah, just looking at the the future of this, like Marvel team up twenty. Let's see, Marvel team up number nineteen. No, number 12, Spider-Man and the Werewolf. Uh, Marvel team up 24, Spider-Man and Brother Voodoo. Uh, what else? Spider-Man and Hercules. Yeah, we got some <laughs> Spider-Man. Oh, no, this is Human Torch and the Son of Satan. So some weird stuff's coming down the pike. The Human Torch and the Son of Satan one I did read because I was considering it uh, for a future year. And it's not good, but it ends <laughs> with one of the best panels of the 70s. Okay, and that so maybe. is Johnny Storm looking at a sad son of Satan walking away and saying the line, I don't know what he's going through, but whatever it is, it must be hell. He <laughs> nailed it. That's so good. Yeah. Good oh, job, that's Johnny. very funny. So we're three in that one just for that. Um, but otherwise, we're going to move to Marvel Premiere number one. And you this know what? one Actually, can, is can we? Oh, sorry. Before, we, before you say that, before you say that, I just want to point out that you mentioning, you know, it must be hell, son of Satan. This all reminds me or like makes me think that the comics code is changing, right? The comics code is, yeah. I think it just slackened. This is a time, I think this is shown in some of the comics we're reading, but the comic code just loosened up a little bit to allow a lot more different things, including that the villains don't always have to lose. Uh, monsters are all of a sudden allowed because for some reason, monster comics were banned, period, from the yeah. comic code which we're going to see make a big comeback. There's a bunch of different things, and you can kind of see that throughout this, that these feel like 
a little darker, a little bit more mature in their subject matter, a little more violent, a little more sexual, as we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, so, like, I was just surprised. Like, they have a character called the Son of Satan? Like, that feels so... Like, 1960s Silver Age, I'd be surprised if they allowed something like that. And, yeah. Yeah. We're uh, we're, we're seeing, seeing kind of a, a little shift in the way that these comics are being put out. Okay. Yeah, sorry, it might so seem quaint to call it edgy, but, I mean, having a comic book star a marvel comic starring the son of satan i mean that's still like that is still going to rile people up today yeah. so doing it in 72 uh, yeah. Like, yeah it's yeah, a, exactly. it's a sign of things changing yeah well i mean we had that in 71 where dr doom literally is you know summoning satan to have a you know a, have a bet with him right yeah um okay so yeah, what were you gonna say about uh marvel premiere number one yeah okay is an interesting comic because it does a whole lot with continuity in a way that this is, I think it's the first book we've read and Mm -hmm. we're going to see this with Avengers a little bit too, where it's referencing and sourcing things that happened in the silver age. But like, it truly feels like these are things that happened a decade ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Where even though like there obviously hasn't been that hard line of a cutoff, you know, the way we talk about the 60s and 70s, like they yeah. are, you know, butting up against each other. Yes. But it like it references all these things in history of both the high evolutionary and of the man that we will come to know in this comic as Warlock, not <laughs> it's, quite, Adam I, Warlock. I've covered both high evolutionary and all the appearances of Adam Warlock, I think. AKA in, him in the Silver yeah, Age. In extra issues. And I love that he's, he's getting renamed from him to adam warlock which is great because it just makes for like awkward syntax of so him goes into a room and him says like yeah. all that kind of nonsense uh but yeah it's interesting because this is pulling on two very distinct you know this high evolutionary comes from fantastic four adam warlock comes from fantastic four and then via thor gets here so like you would have had to rate both those series to get the full picture here and this this issue does a good job of um like summing all that up like the first half of this comic is just backstory and exposition which actually makes it kind of a drag it's a big but, exposition summary yeah it's a big wikipedia page comic yeah, um yeah, i yeah. do think there's some value in it for our purposes because we've skipped most of this in the regular yeah. my marvelous year list Yeah, if you if so, you want it fleshed out check out extra issues a little bit um but, I mean, or, would you, you know, say that is, would you say those are worthwhile reads in terms of enjoying the character of Warlock as he's presented here? Yeah, him has had some good appearances. His, okay. Him has had some fun appearances. His intro in Fantastic Four was really good. And he uh, he's the one that Thor fought and got the warrior madness that we, we saw right. in the club. It was uh, against Adam Warlock. And that, that one was okay. It was kind of fun. But um, yeah. his, his intro is good. And the High Evolutionary is like... I don't know. He does genetic testing. The last time we saw him was he's doing genetic testing in the mountains of Wondagar, I think it's called. Wondagor, yep. Yep. And uh, for his new men, which I think is very funny, it's just like half animal men. And uh, yeah, the end of that issue, the that issue ended with his scientific fortress in the mountain blasting off into space, which was very funny. And we see Always that have here. a contingency. We see that here in space, floating around, orbiting Earth. And he's up there with his new men, his animals. And I love his closest advisor is just this goat man called Sir Ram. (laughs) Just very, very cute. But he doesn't make it out alive. 
Um, yeah, poor Sir it, Ram. He, he's up there, and the High Evolutionary is like, he's just a guy who's way into speeding up evolution. That's kind of Loves evolution. It's it, kind of a Dr. Moreau vibe. You know, most yeah. of his new men are really just animals walking on all fours. Um, in this issue, we do get him creating Counter-Earth, which is a big High Evolutionary concept <laughs> here. And it is this. It is a... It's an Earth, but it's where he can do all of his evolution. And it's testing, just going to be on the exact opposite side of the sun, so that yeah. we'll, we'll never see it. And I, I thought it's funny, just like, this this main Earth stinks. I'm going to make a counter-Earth. I, I feel I, like I there are astronomy concerns that are not addressed in these at all, but somehow it works. And good on High Evolutionary for not creating any issues with his counter-Earth. Um, but I'm that's gonna, actually uh, where a lot of Marvel premiere is going to take place. Moving forward is on Counter Earth specifically. Oh, really? I wondered if that was going to pop up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This gave me a good idea to start making. Uh, like, I'm going to make a Counter Podcast. Uh, my mark <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah, we'll just be on. Uh, well, on the other side of the sun. Um, but uh, yeah, I just have to find a Counter Dave before I start. That would that will not be hard to find. They are <laughs> very prevalent. I'm fighting off Counter Daves <laughs> daily. <laughs> you would not believe it. So the the um, other like slightly unnecessary, somewhat forced in point of this is that. High Evolutionary finds a cocoon floating through space, which right. is Adam Warlock's cocoon. Or he's about to be named Adam Warlock. He's him at this point. But he, he peels open the cocoon and finds this, you know, glowing golden boy. Very muscular. Probably the most, like, muscular character we've seen in Marvel. Yeah, or at least, like, detailed mus- musculature. And uh, Definitely the, the most golden. Yes, that's definitely true. He, he, uh, he opens it up. He starts talking to the guy. And he's like... You will be the sun I never had. Like immediately is like, yeah, pulls open a cocoon and goes, damn, this looks like a good sun. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and uh, now Warlock, I don't know, is not interested in being a sun. I don't, I don't think that goes anywhere. Adam Warlock so, has virtually no personality. At this yeah, point, he, he's very Silver Surfer-ish without the nobility. He's kind of just like this naive, powerful being, but he doesn't have that like streak of goodness. He's just kind of a blank slate. Yeah, total blank slate, right? It's like he just doesn't even know what he is. So High Evolutionary is kind of trying to befriend him. As he's doing that, one of his his creation gone wrong is the Man Beast. And the Man Beast comes and attacks. And of course, that sends everything into a frenzy. And the issue ends basically with the High Evolutionary's base in in shambles. And Adam Warlock heads to Counter-Earth to well, pursue because, because an understanding of who he is. Well, Counter-Earth is now screwed up because... High Evolutionary created Counter Earth, and then on the seventh day he rested, which like feels like a reference for something, but I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. No, he was just tired. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think yeah, it ties to no, anything. Yeah, probably doesn't tie to some kind of universal creation myth. But he, uh, Man Beast, burst in while he was sleeping, and then just like drastically sped up the evolution of Counter Earth because it's like it looks like he created an entire another Earth and then sped it through billions of years of evolution up to when humans appeared. Like in a day or six days or something, um, and then Manbeast speeds it up further, and you see like he reintroduces like hatred and warfare and violence and greed and all these things, and we get to see like a counter Jesus Christ, like JC two is being crucified on right. Counter Earth. Just it's like it's sort strange. of like they make like, all the same mistakes, I guess you could say. Yeah, but like the that, theological that implications of just a, a second Jesus Christ, like being crucified at the same time in the year 1972 it was a very precise model yeah that it's a i don't know that's a weird idea uh yeah anyway so yes there's a counter basically spits in the high evolutionaries evolution salad Uh, i thought you're gonna say gene pool but uh okay yeah sure works too yeah okay so can you answer me this without 
spoiling too much is counter earth like a, a real ongoing concern or does this like how how big of a thing is this in marvel comics because i feel it like this is something won't i would be the heard last of. time you'll see it but it's not a huge thing no it's i mean the like high DC is with a their, pretty like, secondary he's kind of a secondary to tertiary big villain he comes up and the stakes are often high and he's, he's got some relevance here and there um, but honestly, the most relevant is in the 70s is in these pages of Warlock comics. It just made me think of um, DC with their like Earth 1, Earth 2, which is like taken off around this time, right? That they're starting to split their universes. And I was wondering if this is their version of that. Oh, yeah. It's not it's not anywhere near as cool as like Crisis on Infinite Earths or some of that stuff as far yeah. as Counter-Earth goes. Uh, it. I'm I'm thinking of there's a Rick Remender written Uncanny Avengers in the 2010s that plays with it a little. There's some Avengers stories in probably the early 80s that um, at least play with the high evolutionary in some interesting ways. But yeah, it's not a it's not a huge thing. Maybe not as big as you might expect. Okay, I I mean I kind of don't want it to be. I kind of like <laughs> I like that Marvel is a little tidier in its universes than DC. There's and, one uh, there's one instance of the New Men that I love. Yeah. In, Everything else is just, I don't need. <laughs> I, I like Sir Ram, so there's that. So yeah, nice. unfortunately, yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, sure he's that. dead. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that really paid off. But All okay, right, what's, so uh, that's what's Marvel premiere number one. That series, So that series is going to go for a bit. We're not going to pick up with it again for a little while, but I would say, like, if you're curious about the character of Adam Warlock in particular and what he's going to become, we're going to jump back into his story when it's really getting good. Um, but I do actually kind of encourage you to read the rest of these Marvel premiere issues because they're very interesting and they do get referenced once it really well, they, picks up. They, uh, I, I'm going to be covering a couple of these for extra issues, but like Marvel premiere number three is a Doctor Strange versus Nightmare issue and Marvel premiere number nine is Steve Englehart writing Doctor Strange. So like we, uh, yeah, we get some interesting, oh, actually, I want to call you out on this. You ready? You ready? Sit sit down, Dave. I'm about to uh, serve some tea. I'm going to stop standing. I'm going to get my <laughs> tea cuddle out. Let's do it. On the 1974 My Marvelous Year spreadsheet, okay. you write Doctor Strange 1 through 2 and 4 through 5. The first strange story from Steve Englehart and Frank Bruner. However, in 1973, <laughs> Marvel premiere number 9 includes a Doctor Strange story by Steve Englehart and Frank Bruner. Wow. How do you respond wow. to these allegations? How do I respond? How do you sleep here's, at night? <laughs> here's the thing. The 1974 <laughs> list, I don't think, is yet final. Uh, so it sounds no. like your your oh, allegations right. relate to Are a rough draft at best <laughs> that will be hastily edited. Slip through my fingers once again. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh so what are we doing next? Because your order is different than mine, apparently. I had Shauna the She-Devil after. Oh, I'm I'm going on my order. I read them, aren't I? Oh, okay. um, let's do Shauna then yeah, next. Yeah. How about that? Okay, so Shauna the She-Devil is strange because she's not a superhero. Nope. Uh, she is Tarzan, but uh, but by choice, I guess. <laughs> right? She's a... Yeah, she's not lost. She's... Yep. She's choosing. actually a, a doctor, right? Isn't that her background? She's, she's a, immensely qualified. To yeah, yeah. She's lead a, a medical doctor people. who's very invested in anti-poaching, I guess. She's very anti-gun and anti-poaching. And that's mm -hmm. kind of all the story is, is there's some poachers. And she lives in the jungle wearing the, like, the cheetah print bikini fighting off poachers. And uh, I really like this. Like, I had a ton of fun with this. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, really, it's really not that, like, incredible of a story. But it's just, like, everything 
like this and uh beast story tomb of dracula like i don't think any of these are huge groundbreaking i don't know like the, the way that they're drawn the way that they're plotted the story themselves the characters none of it is like hugely new they're not even that big ideas it's just uh like everything's just a little smoother they're just like they're just fun it's fun comic book silliness and, yeah yeah for sure. I, really liked... I, I think shauna is a little different in that it's a female lead which yeah, our first right do not yeah is it actually our first it's our first solo yeah yeah i guess it is I, you know i actually um, don't know if it's the um this year i think it is this year that we also get there's another one that's coming out this year the cat the cat uh, the cat yeah. which is only four issues long and shauna is like i think she gets a dozen issues so both of them get canceled like yeah quick. like these are not series that are talked about particularly often because they mm-hmm. didn't have super long runs i think shauna's particular because one it's it's female-led series so that's finally getting a, a little bit of traction in marvel and it not only is it that but it's a this is a story of an extremely confident capable woman who she spends the entire issue beating the pants out of evil men oh yeah, and i think fun. it's the type of comic that today that would be weirdly controversial oh, <laughs> because yeah, would be. a lot of people would be very upset that uh you know it would be like I, I don't even want to say what the arguments would be because you know what i mean right you all you all know what i mean you've all seen it yeah, with Captain if Marvel. you think about it She's the bad guy for beating up on them. She's the bully. She broke their yeah. gun. She didn't yeah, have to break their guns. I think the bigger thing is like less addressing that nonsense and more. Um, the Marvel was pitching that in 1972, and I think that's a good thing. Um, yeah, well, I think the, the like, cat right, also like, is the uh, the first female written comic that we've had. Period. Like we haven't had a female writer on anything. So we have and, a co-writer on Shauna. Yeah, we who, have who is Carol Sealing. Uh, and uh, co-writing with Steve Gerber, oddly enough. Um, but yeah, no, it's like, it's it's an interesting read. I think like when you see, maybe if you see some of the context around, you know, Marvel uh, catering towards political agendas or things like that today, mm-hmm. I, I often would say, and I think we've talked about this plenty, but like actually it's ingrained in their history if you actually take the time to read yeah, all of, of you know, yeah. like a majority of their output. And Shaun of the Devil is a really clear example, right? Yeah. That is something that they were, they were doing. Again, I don't think it's my favorite comic of the year, but it's interesting had, and it's kind I of fun. fun with it. I was kind of surprised at how fun it was because I thought it was just going to be kind of a throwaway, you know, side adventure Tarzan thing. But I thought it was really well written. Also, yeah. I think it might be our first instance of Marvel slipping a little, uh, little slice of cheesecake into my my comics. You know, but I thought like, it would be, mo- but like the I thought it would be slice. more than it was. That's why I included it. I was really hoping, <laughs> and it let me down. I mean, they they, they used like a, a a deli slicer to to cut this cheesecake, so it's which just, is a weird way to cut cheesecake. I, but but it gets you those real thin slices, so it's it's just a little bit. But it's yeah, more than more than I feel like we've seen so far. For sure, there's a there's a sex appeal to it. I think we're actually going to see significantly more of that in Tomb of Dracula of all places. Um, they really probably start leaning into that more. Well, that's bad in that one, actually, because in that one, it feels like that's being directly punished. <laughs> you know, it's got that like 80s slasher thing where the uh, the barfly girls are the ones who are all getting killed off. So we'll, we'll talk yeah, about spoiler it, but... alert, Dracula, not super kind to the women in our stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we'll we'll get to that here yeah, so in Sean, a moment. Shauna, pretty good. Pretty good. And uh, I assume she's going to, you know, date Kazar, I'm guessing. <laughs> Is safe that... assumption. Yeah. Very safe I... assumption. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that that brings us into Amazing Adventures eleven and twelve. This is uh this is also something that like Marvel's bringing back all these weird variety comics, right? So we've got like Team Up, you've got Amazing Adventure, Marvel Premiere, Marvel Spotlight. These are all different comics that just are like launching grounds for different characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Amazing Adventures 
are probably two of the comics that surprised me the most in terms of how much I enjoyed them and how important they are <laughs> to my understanding of the Marvel Universe when I was going yeah. through this first time. Like, if you had told me, you know, initially when I started this, like, actually, the development of Beast, as you know him, occurs in Amazing Adventures mm-hmm. 11 and 12, not in yeah. the X-Men, not yeah. at yeah. all in Uncanny X-Men. You know, I, I would have been completely unaware of that fact. And that is, in fact, what happens. Yeah, Amazing Adventures. These, I think it would be interesting to see, like, the X-Men get canceled in issue 70-whatever. And then uh, you pick up the X-Men again in 1975, and you're just like, what the hell happened to Hank? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Why is Hank so strange looking? Um, but no, this is like, it kind of feels like a continuation of X-Men to a degree, at least, a, at least issue 11 does. Um, I really yeah. like Beast's origin here as effectively a horror story. Yeah, you know, yeah they really is, lean into that. Yeah, it's Jekyll and Hyde, but it's not even just that. It's like the mood and everything about it feels creepy. And it feels yeah, that, like this sort of body transformation that is scary um, in a way that I think it would be, you know? And in, it's in a way maybe, that's surprising if you know later Beast. Because later Beast is this like, I don't know. Kind of fun-loving playboy type, right? Like, he's always, like, talking about the dates he's going on. He's back to using his big, fancy, flowery language. And There's fun Avengers Beast, and then there's smart Shakespeare quoting X-Men Beast. Yeah. Um, This is neither of those, because this is Hank McCoy, more than anything. This is post-X-Men, graduated Hank McCoy, trying to make it out in the world. And, like, I think one of the really interesting things about these two issues is Hank can make it in the world because he just looks like a normal, like muscular dude, right. you know, with yeah. the exception of his oversized feet. Like he's one of those mutants and this will come up a lot more in X-Men later. He's a mutant that can very easily pass as human. Um, and that obviously is, is rife with metaphor, but it also makes Hank's life pre-transformation um, manageable in the way that it is for, for any other mutant who has the same, you know, qualities or features, yeah. I should say. So, um, but yeah, so basically what happens uh, to get beast, to this point where he is truly a beast is he develops a temporary. So he gets a job um, working in science, let's say yep, he's chemical at, engineering. Yeah. He's at some, some tech company. Right. And uh, he develops a formula that will turn people into mutants for a short period of time, mm-hmm. which is a little Why? strange. He doesn't yeah. pitch it as like a way to, for everyone to experience to have the mutant experience and maybe be more understanding, I don't think. But no. that was the argument I was making for why, in my head, for why this thing might exist. Yeah, okay. It, yeah, yeah. He does this and uh, he, he's working at this company. There's this whole big, you know, they really get into the fact that he's at this new job and he's got an assistant that he's working there, Linda, something, uh, and that he starts to have a romance with, even though there's another scientist. Everyone in the Marvel Universe, every scientist, every doctor who has an assistant or... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically, if a girl stumbles into their lab, they will instantly fall in love. Hire them and then fall in love with them. Yeah. As they're, yeah. I mean, secretaries. Safest. Karen Page is the secretary. Pepper Potts is the secretary. Uh, Peter Parker. I guess Reed Richards and Sue Storm, too. I was going to say, like, the, the more you point out how many of these relationships are functions of, like, you pay me to be here, <laughs> the less yeah. savory it sounds. Yeah. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, he also has a rival scientist, Carl Maddox, who's here, who has my favorite line this year so far, which is Carl looks at him and he's angry because Hank is doing really well in the lab. And he goes, you're the number one brain boy here. Which is not the first or not the last time that the term brain boy comes up this year. <laughs> People call each other brain boy a bunch this year. I uh, if if you had let me handle the intro, I would have called you brain boy. Oh, okay. yeah, that so, would have been much better. Yeah, but you're not. Uh, so don't, 
Don't you, you, you missed out on it? I'm saying, so you don't get that. Title. And you don't deserve it. You're number two um, brain boy in this podcast. Yeah. So so Hanks, uh, I, he's running away from someone in the lab. Do you no, it's why? Carl Maddox is like set. He overhears that Carl's setting up somebody. There's some like person behind the scenes who's going to steal work from the lab, and uh, and he Hank decides to take his formula to be able to like juice up and stop this burglary okay and, uh, yeah and so he goes and stops the burglars and the whole thing about his you know his mutant juice is that when you drink it you need to drink the counter juice in an hour uh or you get stuck basically it becomes permanent just like straight out of anamorphs it just uses anamorph rules yeah and it's it's kind of incredible that this is the very first time he's taken this. And he's like, all right, well, what the heck? <laughs> Down the hatch. Uh, takes this, goes off and fights. And then he's like, oh, man, I lost track of time. I'm stuck as a beast forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he's now stuck as a beast. He, he it actually, is yet he another rest- example of extremely irresponsible sciencing uh, from yeah. from otherwise extremely intelligent they individuals. Do, they do try to rationalize it somehow of saying like, my my temporal my like my body's sense of time was also altered by the formula but it's like that here's the thing just because you use the word temporal doesn't mean you didn't just forget (laughs) right so he uh he goes back he like almost kills carl maddox um because he's so mad that he kind of blames him that he's stuck his beast and i I don't know. I've been saying this a lot. I th- I just on a recent episode said this about Silver Surfer. I kind of wish he had killed the guy. <laughs> like I, I kind of want our heroes to kill people. I guess this is like something I'm finding out about myself. Is I'm uh, a little. Do you need that. You need that good anti-heroes phase to kick in. You're you're really I, waiting I don't for the want 90s. To, I want him to do it and then immediately feel bad about it. I think that would be interesting, right? I just like I think that'd be a fun because I mean I don't care about Carl. Carl can you know. Well, you are going to love the Punisher. Let me tell you something. No, because he doesn't feel bad. I mean, I like the Punisher fine, but I like. I think that would just be that much more interesting. Of like, who are the heroes that kill regularly but feel bad about it? Yeah, I don't even want him to kill regularly. I want Balder the Brave. As as I'm going to go Balder the Brave is the first one that comes to mind. I wanted to be part of his origin that he like flew off the handle and didn't control himself and killed somebody. And, you know, that's always looming over him that he, like, could lose control and he needs to keep that under under wraps. Okay. But, I mean, Hank goes in such a different direction from what this is setting up. Like, this is real body horror. I, th- the next issue, especially, it's all, like, the, the way that they draw him is very feral. It's all, like, blues and grays and blacks. And, you know, it's uh, really... It, we're going to get to some werewolf comics here. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, it's the same this is exact a big aesthetic. werewolf comic. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, um, I really like the art here. It's Tom Sutton yeah. on art with Mike Plug on inks, yep. who we're going to see. I think we've seen him on the pages of like Man Thing as well as the artist. And, uh, yeah, Hank's like, he's kind of a scary werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. in, in simple terms, um, the issue's called The Bludgeoning Beast, issue 12 is. There's, there's a twist at the end of 11. I think this was the first twist. In Marvel Comics that I was like, oh, man, that's pretty cool. Didn't see that coming. What was it? Oh, you don't even remember? (laughs) No. (laughs) It was just the fact. So Carl Maddox, someone came in and was like, you failed me. And they shoot him dead. And it turned out to be Hank's girlfriend, Linda. Oh, yes. Which I was like, that's that's an interesting twist. I didn't see that coming. She's kind of just the like, you know, the love interest. That's all her. I mean, it's not. not No, there is kind of a strange espionage, like component to this that yeah. I frankly just kind of bypass because I'm so focused on the transformation to beast. Yeah. Um I think the other thing is like this is such this is a really positive transformation for Hank as a character. I think he's been oh, yeah. consistently yeah. a pretty like I don't know, a pretty dis uh, hang on, I'm struggling. Distasteful. With he's been an unlikable X Men. 
I think in yeah. a lot of ways. He's trying to over like intellectualize everything and it's kind of annoying and all of a sudden he turns into this like beast and he's just so much more interesting yeah it gives him some this pathos, way yeah yeah definitely so well, in issue oh, 12 speaking of, speaking of big words he uh he says a few times in this issue he's like hey i'm not using these big ten dollar words anymore maybe it's because i feel more secure with myself huh like which is strange because it kind of goes against the rest of the tone of the issue which is that he's really upset about it but a few times they mention like oh i'm not using uh i'm not using big fancy words anymore i don't know why they under because that doesn't stick around he's he keeps using his big his uh he'll come back to it um it does oscillate a little i i do think too like he does have some concerns that his mental state might deteriorate as a result of this formula you know his mm-hmm. exterior has become beast like will his brain as well and we don't get the full you know, dive into that at this point, but it starts to lay a little bit of that groundwork that will definitely be a part of why his character is so interesting moving forward as well. Um, uh, is there yeah. anything would you have that guessed happens? that that Beast would be the most relevant solo X Man in the 1970s? I mean, in the 70s, aren't we? We're going to get some big ones like in the latter half of the 70s. Even right? even when the X Men get good, Beast is still the most interesting solo, no way, or not interesting. Excuse me, the most relevant solo. Solo because okay. he joins I was the say Avengers. Storm. Storm joins up the X Men soon, and like, yeah, yeah, there are better X Men okay. characters uh, okay. in my book. Once Uncanny really takes off, the yeah, Beast yeah. is like he's kind of like the X Men standard. No, I, I was surprised at how good this was because I I don't consider the Beast one of my favorite X Men or anything. No, this was yeah, this was really good. Uh, Beast also can take a bunch of bullets to the chest and just immediately heal them. <laughs> um, that was surprising. And he's got that, a big healing factor here. It's a, yeah, that you know, doesn't like, really stick around, right? That's not a thing. Not in the way that you think. Like, I don't with remember Wolverine, him, which is kind of like, how he's acting. Here. Someone just unloads a revolver to, like straight to the chest, and right in the right in the gut, and he's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so th- this is a Beast versus Iron Man. Iron Man comes to visit the lab where <laughs> Hank is. He's back working at the lab because he formulated latex hands and latex a latex mask that he can wear and it is the creepiest most uncanny image of the you know blue furry beast but with a, a human skin on his head and human hands it's a really creep and he wears this brace that like that hurts him to make him stand up straight it's like he's bending his spine backwards to stand and, I, up straight. and he learned how to do all this in one night by reading a makeup and disguise book yeah oh i, I love, love how good everybody is it disguises it's good Marvel enough that his Marvel girlfriend heroes. can, like, kiss him on his fake latex cheek, and he's, you know, it passes. Yeah, like, he goes to the office as Beast, but wearing a Hank McCoy suit. It's so good. Yeah, it, it, it's very uh, it's very unsettling. I actually was just thinking, like, how good it would be for me to make a, a tiny little, like, a tennis ball-sized mask of my face, like a perfect re- perfect replica, and put it uh-huh. on my cat. It just... <laughs> How good that would be! Just <laughs> I can see walking around with a, a perfectly human head. I I would love the video of your wife coming home, seeing that, saying nothing, turning around, and walking back out <laughs> because of how strange and and creepy that would be. Just, just I want my cat to be sitting on my lap, so it's just two versions two of, of me you. looking at her. <laughs> well, in. read that book that Hank read on makeup, and you should be there in a night. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So. Tony Stark comes to visit the lab. Tony has a girlfriend with him, and it's very strange because Hank. She's new. Yeah, yeah, she's new. She's also she has ESP powers. She can like get you know she's sensitive to people's personalities or vibe or whatever, which is strange. Yep. Um, that Iron Man is dating a psychic. Well, maybe it's actually not that strange, but uh, <laughs> very in I, character. I would argue. Yeah, actually, I think so. The the part I really liked is that he introduced so. Tony Stark and his girlfriend meet Hank McCoy and his girlfriend, Linda, 
the mm-hmm. double agent and Linda walks out of the room and Tony Stark's girlfriend immediately is like, man, I get a real sense of evil off that woman. And Hank like flies off the handle, but kind of rightfully so. Just like, it's a very rude thing to say in front of somebody. Just like, yeah, no, totally. Oh, it was really nice to meet your girlfriend. Actually, I think she was pretty evil. Like, I just got this whiff of evil from that girl, right? Yeah, it's a strong lead when you <laughs> oh, just it's very, met someone. It's very rude, yeah. Um, yeah, and then Iron Man and Hank kind of get into a fight. This leads into, like, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is in the shadows trying to convince Beast that he killed Iron Man so that they can recruit him in issue 13 or something, I'm assuming. Yeah, the Brotherhood what... at this point is Mastermind, who's mm-hmm. the one who is, like, convincing Beast that he accidentally killed Iron Man. You yep. have Unis the Untouchable. His whole thing can't be touched. Yeah, so <laughs> and, weird. And you have the blob with yep. them, so. Yeah, you know what? Just uh, Mastermind seems like such a weird little insignificant villain. He's going to be such a big deal later on. So, He's like, just, the just worst. Just pointing that out to, to people, like, that, you know, this this character is one to actually keep an eye on and to remember, because he's, he's a big deal later. Yeah, he's a sleaze. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, he is. So... That's Amazing Adventures, The Tale of Beast. If you skipped over that one because the title looked weird, I highly recommend against it. It's actually quite good. That is going to take us now into uh, one more set of new titles before we get into some of the more, um, well, we do have one more new hero, but you'll recognize him. This one's Tomb of Dracula. We read two issues, one Uh and two. And uh, Tomb of Dracula, if you like where Marvel's going in the Bronze Age and you like 70s horror comics... You should read as much Tomb of Dracula as you can get your hands on because it is totally like the title that sets the stage for what the horror vibe is going to be. And honestly, like these two issues are really good. Yeah. They're good horror I, comics. It's weird. This was just like comic after comic that I kind of thought I would just have to get through. Right? Yeah. Like Tomb of Dracula, Amazing Adventures with Hank and uh, the Shaun of the She-Devil. I kind of just was like, all right, well, this is just, you know, we're reading this for historical interest, whatever. But I really like all of them. And uh, yeah, Dracula's really good. It's like, it's modern day. It's a descendant of Dracula, goes to Transylvania because he's inheriting the castle. Um, his name. I'll talk like, about that a little because I think the setup is a big part of why this works. Yeah. Which is to say, like, it's set in contemporary times with the popular culture awareness of Dracula. Oh, they so talk like about it, Bram Stoker. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not a Marvel universe where they're like vampires. That's ridiculous. They're like, yeah, we've all read Dracula. <laughs> like, they I all mean, have that makes familiarity. Sense. I, I remember, like, The Thing talking about Dracula, the character, you know, just throwing out some joke offhandedly. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, that's kind of funny because he's going to become a thing. And, you know, he wouldn't have known about him. But, yeah, no, it's consistent that it, like, it's kind of framing it like Bram Stoker wrote the book on Dracula, like a historical account. Well, and there's and there's a town, one of the townsfolk in Transylvania where Frank Drake travels. He's a descendant of Dracula and he's inherited the castle, essentially. And one of the townsfolk says, like, oh, Bram didn't get it all right. So there's commentary about, so there's the idea of there's a Dracula that exists in pop culture, but there also, according to these townsfolk, is in fact a real Dracula who is inside this castle. So they're like, there's, a, it does a really nice job of, yes, everybody knows the character, but also, is it a myth, isn't it? And mm, it's yeah. playing with some yeah, of that yeah. before it just like, you know, before it's just like, hey, here's a new vampire in the, so in I, the world. I like that Dracula, the name, the family name Dracula just turned into Drake over the years. Yes, uh, they shortened it. Just it just makes me think of Dracula, which is like... Drake, if he really just gets real corny, and uh, he gets just, cornier when he's Dracula. Yeah, I think so. I just I'm I just picturing him cooler. walking around in his normal clothes, but that high collared cape. 
Here's like, the thing. If we him. ever get video of Drake doing Monster Mash karaoke or Actually, just covering I gotta, it. I got to Google that right now because like I almost I feel like he's definitely mentioned. <laughs> there's no way Dracula has not been used every Halloween. No, I don't. OK, well, there's a lot of fan art here. If you, if you write Dracula in, you will find a lot of Photoshop pictures of Drake with the exact cape I was talking about. So, yep. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I regret looking at this. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, so Frank Drake is here with his girlfriend, Hang Janine. Hang on, before, since we had a slight pause there, should mention, Tuma Dracula, creative team here. Oh, yes. We have Jerry Conway writing, yep. Jean Collin on art, Jean and Jean Costa, might be Jean, might be Jan, mm, who could say? John, could be John. I wasn't very cool on the vowel. But um but yeah, Gene Kalan, this is like this is the one for me, definitely, where I'm like, oh, here's here's what his style was building mm, Yeah. It was yeah, yeah. the use of shadow and the use of sort of like Expressive blending faces. mysterious elements and just setting a tone, you know, setting a horror vibe throughout a comic. He's perfectly suited for this book. And uh Jerry Conway does a nice job building tension as well. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the setup is Frank Drake and his girlfriend Jeanette, I think. Je- Jean, Jeanette, um, and and the third wheel, Clifton, who it's, it makes no sense. Why is Clifton here? It's like, uh, Clifton is the ex-boyfriend of Jeanette and kind of friend of Frank Drake, but they also seem to like kind of hate that he's here. And I, I honestly never could figure out why he was here. Like, as soon as Frank turns his back, he starts hitting on Jeanette and uh, she hates it. Um and then, like, they walk into the castle. This is such a good moment. They walk into the castle, and they, a bunch of bats fly down and kind of spook them all. And, <laughs> and Clifton goes, God, Lord, bats. I can't stand them. Filthy. And uh, and Frank just goes, shut up, Clifton. <laughs> <laughs> like, they clearly yeah. can't stand this guy. I don't know why he's on this. Uh, this he was, with without question, the worst person to bring along. Yeah. Um, but he does have a pretty important role to play here. Oh, I mean, also that- bad. Well, it clearly negative role to play as well. Yeah. Um, he he is investigating the castle along with everyone else. He basically stumbles into what appears to be the tomb of Dracula. He's viewing this as an amazing tourist opportunity, all the money they're going to make. Um, and basically, I think he's possibly plotting to kill Frank at this point and take the genie know, for yeah. himself. He's, he's at least getting close to that point. Um, but he opens the tomb and he finds Dracula in there with a stake in his heart. And this yeah, is just, actually just a skeleton with a stake, yeah. Yeah, we'd seen earlier, like, one of the Van Helsings get him. So, uh, he's, Clifton is weirdly unperturbed, I'm going to say, by this. Mm -hmm. He's still thinking, like, oh, cool, people will love this. He pulls out the stake because he's like, what a cool souvenir. And, uh, and who should awaken but the one, the only, Dracula, Lord of the Vampires. Uh, I have to check on something. My neighbor just pulled up and is just idling outside because I think they're buying pot and this keeps happening. Or their drug dealer just sits with their very loud car in my backyard. <laughs> I can't really hear it, but if you see it on your audio. I, oh, yeah, like, it's lighting up my audio. Just a second. All right. Zach's taking a smoke break. We'll be right back. <laughs> smoke these fools. <laughs> There's no one in the car. They just, everyone just <laughs> left the car running right outside my window. Bull play. <clears throat> Yeah, they're... Oh, just heard the car door shut. Okay. Okay, they're leaving now. God, they're the worst. Um, okay. Yeah, so Dracula wakes up. He throws Clifton into a pit where he thinks... I, I It's interesting because it, 
uh, frames it that Dracula has lost track of time. Like, he's not aware that he's been down here for hundreds of years. Um, and he thinks that, like, he has a pit where he's been keeping all his victims to, to feed on later. And he This throws... actually, this pretty genuinely creeped me out. Yeah, it's a like, and it's So I know we idea. talk about it, like, horror comics, that being a genre. But then there's also, like, horror comics should scare you. And I think a lot of times reading too much Dracula, I don't feel that way necessarily. Hmm. Um, that creeped me out, <laughs> that detail. Yeah, because he throws like, them down. There's just terrifying. a bunch of skeletons down there, which, you know, yeah. it's a creepy idea. Yeah, I don't know if this creeped me out, but, like, there's there's some good ideas. The execution isn't, like, frightening, but... I haven't slept since last week. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> scared the shit out of me. Yeah, <laughs> very easily <laughs> frightened, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, okay, so, yeah, the, the this and... Uh, I don't even remember what happens to the next issue. It's it. Genie's shirts falling off a lot is one thing I noticed. Mm, um, mm. So in in Tomb of Dracula one and two, the way the issue ends, mm, issue yeah. one ends is Dracula is loose, right? And he's now out in the world. He pretty immediately seeks out the barmaid that we had seen earlier in the issue. Yeah, who was? Well, um, I mean, you kind of. You can't have that much cleavage and ex- not expect to be punished. Right. Yeah. There's a very clear target market for Dracula in terms of who he attacks and turns into mm-hmm. vampires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's women exposing cleavage, which again, like, if you're going to violate the comics code, Dracula is going to come for you. I just yeah. think that is how things work at this point. He gets genie <laughs> as well. Uh, this is, you know, you mentioned there being cheesecake. Like, yeah, like women's shirts are falling off in the way that I mean, it, you would it, expect for it's like anywhere more... near. It's, I mean, compared to what we're going to get in the. 90s or even in the 80s with like storm yeah but it's definitely the first time it's, but it, it's you know doing us. this read through yeah. where i was like oh like they're sexualizing characters I yeah mean, that's... which you know like i i don't mind necessarily on its own like it, it made sense that that woman at the bar like she you know her character fit that it was fine you know it's just like when, when it becomes that pattern of all women at bars end up dying <laughs> then it might become across that line but yeah, no, yeah. It was, so uh, Dracula gets her, and then he also later gets Genie, the you know the romantic interest of Frank Jank. Yep. He bites her. He turns her into a vampire, and that brings us into the second issue where now Genie is is a vampire, but also she still was you know the the protagonist girlfriend. Yeah. And they kind of have to try to come to terms with that, which is of course a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's interesting because like the, the comic focuses on Dracula just as much as it focuses on the protagonist, right? Like it follows mm-hmm. him. On his escapades as he he goes to his old doctor, which actually I guess it wasn't hundreds of years because like his doctor's an old man and he remembers him as a child. So like as a boy, it must have been within the last, you know, 80 years or so. Um, I don't is that add up with Bram? I don't know when that book was written or when it takes place. Uh, anyway, well, certainly. Well, I, yeah, I don't know either. Um, I do think that's one of the things that Tuma Dracula does well is it sort of it has to build a supporting cast that you care about. What's that? 1897. So it was, okay. It was, much later than I thought. Yeah. Um, you have to build a, a support group of characters that you care about because it's not actually, it's not like Spider-Man. Well, that's a bad example. But it's not, you're not just following Dracula around all the time. Mm-hmm. He's doing things. He's out yeah. there on the streets creeping on women. Um, but, you know, also like if you don't care about Frank Drake and what he's doing, mm-hmm. then this comic doesn't have a lot to go on. Yeah. And that's one thing that they build pretty effectively here. Frank is, he starts out as sort of this like, I don't know, kind of nebulous relative. But then by the end of this issue, he's a victim of Dracula in the sense that Dracula attacks his girlfriend, turns her into a vampire. (laughs) She's going to get it. That was like the perfect sum up of Marvel Comics, like treat like men's tragedy, which is he becomes a victim by Dracula attacking his girlfriend. That (laughs) that framing is the exact like thing that they do over and over again. What's a a better word? 
Uh, no, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, like, he is also a victim of that violence, right? Because he loses the one he loves. But, like, you know, so often it's it's Who just... had it worse? <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the poor man. The person who or, died or the no, person it, who had his to... girlfriend, you know, is going to get killed. Like, they have to... She's a vampire. They're kind of trying to, like, treat her like she's maybe still the girlfriend. But ultimately, she's not. She betrays them yeah. and is a vampire. And they have to put a stake through her heart. And Frank's yeah. the one who has to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. You know, so now he's got to live with uh, the fact that he, you know, he kind of got his girlfriend killed. Yeah. Um, I think Clifton dies somewhere in here. You know, good riddance. Uh, yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, sure. And, uh, and long story short, Frank, you know, kind of vows to he's going to find Dracula, right? He's, yeah. That's now his mission. So he's kind of a vampire hunter. So we've got our vampire hunter. We've got Dracula out on the loose. And the stage is set for Dracula in the Marvel Universe. Oh, no. Cl- Clifton's around for like the next 20 issues. Never mind. What? He <laughs> yeah, didn't did. die? No, he didn't. He's okay. He's well, fine. I assumed that. Yep. Um, the uh, they, So I, I really like this. But. But. Here's that big but we all like. Um, oh, yeah. It's It does that thing where like it kind of hurts itself by putting too much text in here again in the form of caption boxes that don't need to be there because they're not good enough at prose to make it work right like this is i mean this is marvel comics 101 which is prose that you know they they are not capable of writing prose that actually is additive to the story so it just becomes like a very so like i just like i want to i want to read a little snippet here this is spread out over the entire page in like six text boxes and it just it's it's teflon right like you read it and immediately just kind of like it might set the mood but it says and in his soul he understands the full meaning of futility he realizes only now good intentions take a man just so far and that there lies the meaning of revenge and the sorrow and agony of grim frustration it's kind of just like word salad for sad sacks like and it doesn't even really fit with what's going on it's just like uh that, that that's describing frank when he finds out that gene was turned into a vampire and it like i don't know he understands i the... think um finding finding caption finding prose that i actually hold up as example of like oh this is just good writing that i like additive to it the doesn't comic, yeah well, there's there's two things. Like, there's additive, and then there's, like, oh, man, this is just great writing. Mm, and, mm-hmm. you know, definitely, like, you know, I started thinking about that when, like, Alan Moore starts writing Swamp Thing, for example, in mm-hmm. the 80s. Like, I can look at some of those captions very early on in the anatomy lesson and be like, oh, man, like, I love the way that sentence is construed, alliteration and all. Um, it, it, you don't get a ton of that with Marvel in the 70s. I think the challenge here is just, like, is it additive? Um which doesn't say you never get it again. I like my one example of Avengers 93 with Roy Thomas uh, and Neil Adams' art. But anyway, is it additive? Is the challenge? I think a lot of times you're right. I think oh, a lot of times it's not. Almost and always when I notice it, I think like, man, this page would just look better if you didn't have a text box here, right? Because like, that we're going to we're gonna talk about this in Avengers, but it's just, there's pages where it's just like, I know what's going on. I'm looking at the picture. Like, stop cluttering the page with words telling me, describing the picture, you know? And, and then there's a page in Avengers that is 12 panels and three, like, it's like 12 words total mm-hmm. spread yeah. across three captions. And it's amazing. I'm like, do this so yeah. much more. I don't remember. it's really cool. You'll have, to, but, you'll have yes. to find out. Yeah. Yeah, so Tomb of Dracula is really good. I'm going to keep reading this. Like, I want to keep digging into this. And uh, it made me more excited for horror comics than I was before. Yeah. So with that said, let's jump, I think, to Luke Cage Hero for Hire number one. Okay. Because... Yeah. There's not a lot that I'm going to want to say about this other than what? this is our introduction to what? Luke Cage, a very cool, very cool character and hero in the Marvel Universe. I think this origin issue is like almost unreadable. What? I think it's 
really bad. What? I think it's a good story and good ideas by Archie Goodwin and George Tuska. I just think it's a rough looking comic. Oh, I think Tuska's what? art is like really not enjoyable. And I guess I'm saying this from the perspective of a reread and I just didn't want to do it. I did not want to read this comic. Damn. I tried and I could not get into it. What? You're <laughs> at a loss for words. Yeah. I understand. Uh, I just, I, I, I don't it. I, think yeah, it's a good no, looking I, comic. Yeah. Uh, I really liked it. I kind of thought the, the art really suited the slightly more like dirty criminal vibe of the whole thing, right? Like it's definitely more like street level than even Spider-Man. And I thought the color palette worked for that. Like I thought it was clean enough. The art. I really, oh man, that, that's funny. This, this is very rare where you don't like something and I do. Like it's always the other way around. Um, yeah, no, it's again, like yeah. I love Luke Cage as a character. I love oh, I, issues I read that we're going to be talking like, about. Immediately started reading more and I'm like halfway through the series already because I got like, I really, really like this. Um, yeah, no, I just, I think, uh, you know, a little bit too, it was like pretty bored with origin stories and I, I know Luke's and that obviously no, doesn't help yeah, my case I, reading it now as well. I didn't know. Um, but let's, let's talk about what his origin is. So Luke is more or less uh, falsely accused. He goes to prison as a result. While in prison, he's experimented on and he gets unbreakable skin. Oh as my a God, there, there's so experiment. much that you were just gliding over. Okay, he goes to prison. Those are all of the essential details. He goes to I'm prison because he and, uh, he and a friend growing up were like doing street crime just to get by. And his friend thinks that uh, he, he's trying to kind of get out of the criminal game. His friend is getting deeper into it. And his friend puts... They have a, a woman they're both involved with. He puts her in danger, and his friend Stryker, aka Diamondback, uh, blames Luke Cage for the woman, like kind of distancing self, distan- distancing herself from him. And so he plants some heroin at Luke Cage's apartment, gets him arrested, goes to jail. Uh, I mean, which is like interesting in and of itself, right? We don't. I feel like uh, Luke Cage is probably the hero besides maybe the thing who has the worst thing done to him right like he was the most injustice done to him as a you know origin story because besides oh, i'd the, say more i'd say more so than ben i mean having your own friend frame you for yeah yeah i guess crime, just like is, is ben was at least he was accepting yeah in, in the end <laughs> he was like, a part of the decision to do that i mean at the very end he still gets to walk away and live a relatively normal life which ben doesn't get so i think i think that might be the difference oh me. i mean in terms of like his power impact absolutely but i think in terms of being falsely imprisoned he's the he's the hero i think who has it worst when we meet him is that yeah. fair to say yeah sure i mean he's he's in jail he's being stuck in solid he's stuck in solitary confinement because the guards don't like him he uh they keep beating him up in like in solitary confinement he's not getting along with the other presidents the other prisoners um and then yeah to top it all off there's all that going on there's this whole warden subplot a doctor in the prison enlists him to experiment on him to get early parole on luke yes on luke yeah if i didn't make that clear um i just think there's like there's so much it does a good job of weaving in real life stuff in a way that we haven't seen where it's not specifically saying like hello we are at a protest protesting a bad thing right like it's kind of under it it's subtextual to a degree because uh this is also this is the year that that uh tuskegee syphilis experiment stuff came out 1972 Mm. the month that luke cage came out is the same month it was revealed that all those you know the scientists were exposing african-americans to syphilis all that stuff so like that feels so like so hotly relevant at the time you're right you're right there's an import there's an import to this that i'm underselling by focusing on it purely as a as a 
piece of pulp fiction yeah sure you which, know? which you can take it as i mean that you know there's also the imagery of like he he wears a chain around his waist as a belt right like which a broken chain there's that he you know he breaks out of prison he's a you know he's still on the run from that he the the, the economic concerns that when he gets out of prison uh as this supercharged iron skin guy he starts selling his superhero abilities like kind of as a mercenary bodyguard which is interesting right like he it's he a great just, idea it, I love oh, this. I love so the good, hero yeah. for hire concept. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's brilliant and a big part of what makes Luke so fun, frankly, yeah. by comparison, yeah. is he's like, I'm going to monetize this. Yeah. You know, yeah. like everyone else is getting taken advantage of. Yeah. And I do think like given his, you know, false imprisonment, the fact that like it's hard for an ex-con to get a job, it's like it actually makes the most sense, yeah, you know, right, right, of, right. of really any character as well. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a, again, there's a lot to love about Luke Cage. You just, you I just think like the art just didn't work for you. And I just the, yeah. never want to read this origin again. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it was new to me. I, I haven't watched the show. I haven't read a Luke. I think I've read like one Luke Cage and uh, what's it? Luke Cage, Iron Fist comic before, but he's pretty mm-hmm. new to me. Uh, there's the other. So yeah, he, he's in prison. This doctor experiments on him while he's in the, experiment tank locked in there a prison guard that's had a grudge against him comes and cranks the dial up to 11 and gives him yeah. you know a double super dose of whatever it I is i do think there's a do- there's a dose of horror here uh when the, oh, yeah, the machine moment. goes awry yeah, and he's yeah. like got this burning bubbling skin essentially like that surprised me how um i don't know if graphics the word but like you can kind of feel the anguish of that as he's transforming, you know, it's mm-hmm. not a pleasant transformation. Oh, but the, the moment he burst out of the tank, because what, what this transformation does to him is give him like iron skin and super strength. He just becomes kind of big and super powered. Uh, and he bursts out and like, we, we get a couple of shots between number one and two of this moment where it's like Luke Cage bursting out fully nude, hugely muscular with, you know, the kind of like ironically placed piece of shrapnel just covering his crotch. And it, it is a little bit, uh, you know, we get we get a little slice of uh, man. They, Marvel's got the slicer yeah, out. They got the cheesecake on one side, <laughs> and then what's what's the uh, an Adam I think Warlock? Beefcake is the more traditionally used uh, dessert. Well, Adam, an yeah. Adam Warlock would be uh, what like pineapple upside down cake. I'm trying to what's the most yellow? Oh, yellow cake. It'd just be yellow cake. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> What's the most yellow cake? My Marvelous Year Club. Write to us at my marvelous year. I mean, it's, it's yellow cake. That's what was okay. It's just yellow cake. That's the. No, I got it. Oh, okay. I want to make. I sure. want them all to confirm what you just okay. deduced. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So Luke, Luke Cage, kind of. It, that, we're starting to see like the men get you know big burly muscles, whatever. This is also like his power set is not that different from like the Hulk or the Thing, but he also doesn't have this big transformation alongside of it. He's he looks like he looks like a normal guy. He's just you know super strong. Yeah. 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 I really liked it. And I kept reading it. I'm going to read it. It only goes for like 16, 18 issues, something like that. So I'm planning on reading the whole thing. Um, no. Oh, or at least no, it goes for a, Luke goes for a while. Yeah. It um, It's going to segue into Power Man. Mm, okay. And then Power oh, Man's cool. going to segue into Power Man and Iron Fist. Which I'm excited about. That sounds like a fun pairing of like the big brawly Luke Cage and the tiny little martial artist Danny Rand. Yeah, those were those were not. Uh, primarily in Marvel Limited at the time of the old original club. So we're going to be probably looking into a bit more of that. Um, but yeah, that's the debut of Luke Cage, super important hero in the Marvel Universe. Wait, I, I have I have one more like huge detour on this. Sorry. Uh, Is it about Shades? No, you no. said you hadn't seen the Netflix show. If oh, you've yeah, seen the Netflix show, Shades does make an appearance on Luke Cage number one. So Oh, that guy he just like socks in the prison yard? Yeah, he's got Shades on. Yeah. Um, okay, so 
after I finish heaping praise on this, I have to, uh, you know, kind of damn it a little bit, which is to say this is a written, inked, colored, edited, whatever, bunch of white guys writing jive talking blaxploitation. Uh, yeah. Because blaxploitation movies were becoming popular and they are taking advantage of this. And I think, I feel like they did a pretty decent job with it. Like, I liked it. I think it was a pretty respectable look into this world, the genre, right? Like, it didn't feel too... Uh, I think it still holds up. It doesn't make me cringe, but there there are definitely elements as the series progresses that I think are more cringe worthy. Oh, I know he um, gets a catchphrase of like "Holy Christmas," something like that, right? Sweet that, like, Christmas, sweet Christmas becomes his catchphrase. Yeah, which um, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, because his, his mama didn't want him to swear. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, no, it's that's definitely part and parcel of the yeah. package here. I think uh, this and, is something that is an ongoing struggle today in the comics industry, but certainly here in the early seventies, uh, that is, that is definitely the creative voices you're, you're getting. So and, as far as perspectives is, think, go, it's not super broad. I think they're doing a good job, but there is something like there's, there's an issue to the fact that we've had two main black heroes and one is black exploitation ghetto stuff. And the other is a jungle hero, right? Like those are the two tropes they're working with. And even if they make, I do them... think Falcon is maybe the bridge. Oh, Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. Between where he gets to be a little more regular, but they, you know, they make a point once he's back of he's in Harlem, he's, he's a Harlem the, hero and he's going to black neighborhood, etc. And then his, I mean, he's going to have a real weird transformation coming up into what slim or what's that guy? His snap Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to that. Um, yeah. I, also, kind of an appalling fact. Do you know who Marvel's first black writer was? Was it Christopher Priest back when he went as Owlsley? Jay yeah. Owlsley? Yeah, which is like, what, mid to late 90s? Yeah, it takes, uh, it takes much longer than it should. Well, you, he's in the 80s, for he, sure. Okay, I, I didn't know he was there until uh, to, till Black Panther. Uh, the, uh, the other like awful fact is, do you know when the first female black writer came into Marvel? Is it Roxanne Gay? It's, Roxanne Gay, recently? It's the recently? same year, it was 2015. Which is just, that's crazy. Who is it? It was either, I read something that was like debating because Marvel was calling Roxanne Gay their first writer and then someone else was saying it was someone with, their last name starts with N. I can't remember. Someone who was writing like some cosmic comic. Um, But either way, this decade. It was 2015 was the year, uh, which is just like, it's crazy, right? Like to have these black heroes and just to not have a, you know, an actual voice from that community, like. Even, I, I mean, hopefully they did some consultation and didn't just go watch Shaft, right? And then do this. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I no, mean, that's, that's, yeah. I like it. I just want to point out that, you know, there there are issues where they are, you know, trying to stick their toes into these social issues and maybe, you know, say, oh, no, we're going to be the company that has black superheroes written by a bunch of. Yeah. And I think, I, I think one of the bigger issues with that as well is it the stories aren't as good. The stories aren't going to be yeah. as good. And it's yeah, why yeah. they can feel somewhat corny yeah sure. <laughs> you know because you have people who don't necessarily like as much research as they may or may not do it's again a live perspective and a different perspective you're not bringing that to the table so yeah i do think stories suffer when that's not part of it yeah yeah uh, you know what i mean but all that aside i really like luke cage i'm gonna keep reading him i'm glad he's here um yeah looking forward to, to seeing how he develops yeah i think big picture is a lot like black panther where it's like is it perfect absolutely not i let's let's hear and let's reflect upon people who are intelligently discussing, you know, some of the social and political issues. Um, that said, is it a positive that Marvel is introducing characters of different races? Yes, it is as well. Yeah. So sure. like there's, there is, you can, you can lean into either direction depending. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to where be you're coming binary. From. This is terrible. This is perfect. Right. I mean, no, I, of course. I can like it a lot and still have 
issues with it. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So now we're back to the first time. It feels like we're dipping back into Silver Age, right? Like it, it was kind of weird, like reading all these comics and then oh, we're gonna read like an actual superhero comic, right? Like all. It feels so antiquated, and you know what? Fantastic Four 122 and 123, it it not only feels like we're dipping our toes back into the Silver Age, but like, haven't we read this story before? It's got that feel, too. Yeah. So yeah, this yeah. one's written by Stan Lee. Uh, well, we haven't see, seen Galactus uh, knock over a roller coaster yet. I like that. That was pretty fun. And I don't remember if I'd seen that part of his thigh before, either. I mm. recognized a lot of it, but not necessarily all of it. Um, more like Gamlactus, am I right? But oh, anyway, that's a good one. This is called Galactus Unleashed, I think in reference specifically to his upper groin, but it might just be the fact that he's trapped on Earth. Uh, this one's by Stan, John Buscema, Joe Sinat, and Artie Simek. Uh, basically, we get a, a Galactus comes to Earth and he wants the Silver Surfer to come back with him and be his herald. He misses him. He needs him as yep. a partner and as his herald. And uh, the whole issue is Galactus on Earth trying to get the Silver Surfer to come with him. And like, Finesse 4 and Reed Richards in particular, really, really not being on board with this. So, Which is weird. It's just like, why not? I don't know. Just they him, really don't want him to leave. Just it, let him go. A, like almost he, strange way. He gets in a big fight with humans like every other week. Like he's yeah, a lot of trouble. Yeah, I did think, so Galactus shows up, Finesse 4 make the silly mistake of fighting him again even as they're talking about like we can't fight him i felt like galactus felt a little depowered here because ben literally tips him over yeah like, that was pretty, yeah ben just picks up his toes and just kind of throws him to the ground uh yeah. there, there's there's a weird thing going on where galactus shows up and reed richards is like hey i made you vow that you would never come back to destroy earth yeah and galactus right, promised is, and galactus galactus says like yeah of course i always keep my promises but also give me the Silver Surfer or I'm going to eat Earth, which is like, that's not how it works. You just you can't no. just add another entire stipulation to this. So it feels very, it's all like baked into this weird phony premise because like it's, it doesn't come across that Galactus is, you know, breaking his vow. It just kind of like, just kind of, they just kind of move on from it. Like they don't want you to think yeah. about it too much because that's a big thing. Like the Galactus vows, you know, this, this is going to come up a lot. Galactus has promised to Reed Richards not to destroy Earth and that yeah. he's, you know, he might be... <laughs> He might commit genocide, but he keeps his word. Yeah, and I think part of the challenge here is like, you know, we've talked about we've had a few Galactus stories now, and now it just feels like we're doing the same thing again, and the stakes just don't compare yeah. because he's already been here. We've already talked him out of doing it once. Um, unless the comic ends with him eating the Earth, like there are very few outcomes that can surprise me here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, the biggest change certainly is like, will the surfer get back into space and join him or not? Um, the thing I like most probably here is you get Reed Richards nearly getting stuck on yet another set of meteors, which would have been incredible. Uh, he does travel up to Galactus's ship. He goes on Galactus's ship. And while he's there, he sets up this whole plan where he's going to rig Galactus's ship to set course for the negative zone. Mm -hmm. That way, when Galactus gets on it and flies away with the surfer seemingly behind him, uh, ready to leave, it's all Galactus this, will just fly to the negative it's zone. It's about instead. this like very pedantic uh, word choice where Galactus says, "If you will be my herald in all of the universe, then I will leave Earth alone." And then Galactus flies off and uh, you know goes to the negative zone. And Reed Richards is like, "He said in this universe." That's technically not <laughs> the negative zone. Is technically which not fair our enough universe. if you want to play gotcha after Galactus like pretty much at this point is just going back on his word yeah, yeah you know yeah. in terms of his vow so yeah it's all again it's silly um I, you know i mean it's it's not it's a little it's fine. dull by comparison 
but like it flows fine it's two issues that don't drag like it, generally the action keeps up there's uh like the sequence of reed going up to the ship the sequence of reed trying to stop the silver surfer from leaving is all pretty good actually reed richards flatlines at some point gets shot by a cop <laughs> and uh and silver surfer has to use his cosmic energy to rejuvenate him and the thing goes kind of crazy on some cops which is kind of fun yeah um, or military guys yeah. uh, also richard nixon's on the cover of 123 oh yeah they they, <laughs> yeah some of this stuff's very funny in retrospective yeah yeah that, that was good on the cover they also mentioned that like richard nixon wants to take over and just send the military and he's like yeah we'll take care of this i've got i've got kissinger on the line that's like yeah that's, yeah. that's the guy to come to a peaceful resolution <laughs> Like, yeah, no, uh, they, you... they decide they want to attack Galactus. I do I do actually like some of Galactus's characterization here, too, where Reed's like from Galactus's ship. He's like, I'll trap you on Earth like you did the surfer. If yeah, you yeah. don't if you don't promise to leave. And Galactus calls his bluff so hard. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, cool. I don't even care. I'll eat Earth then. Yeah, you Galactus has then. this kind of like, fine, like I'll starve to death. Like I'll eat Earth and then I'll stay here and I'll starve to death. And it's all I deserve. So yeah. and you'll be dead and I'll be dead and we'll all be dead and so jokes on you reed <laughs> yeah right yeah which is funny because reed richards has tried to pull that before right with the ultimate nullifier god i can't re- can't believe i remember the name of that i'm turning into the such ultimate a nullifier dork oh, it's an iconic god. story yeah but an iconic device yeah i don't know maybe that's normal for you dave but this is upsetting for me it's upsetting that you remember that I mean, yeah over a decade into this you got to know the ultimate nullifier by now which yeah. does not come up as often as you might think it would yeah i just i don't like to be you know, it's Nerd. like I read, I read comics. I, re- I have a comic podcast, but like, I don't want people to think I'm like a comic book guy, you know? I yeah, mean, you don't know it. because you love it and you love being King Nerd. That's right. I do have a crown that says that, but I do wear to work. <laughs> you're, not, you're not taking my bait nearly as much as I want. Um, okay. So, yeah. Uh, that What's up leads next, us Nerd? Avengers 95 and 96 and 97? I I think three of them. That's right. right? We got the end of the Kree Scroll War, and that's going to do it for us for 72 uh, part one. And, you know, I think uh, I don't remember how down on it was. I let, was last time, but definitely like we're feeling the weight of the slog mm-hmm, kind of getting through mm-hmm. this. I think it ends pretty strongly. I, uh, I did come back around to cool. I was definitely kind of getting ready to go into it and be like, you know what? I think I just don't like the Kree Scroll War. And by the end of it, I did start thinking again, like, actually, I do start to appreciate a lot of what they're doing here. Like this is this feels like the biggest thing in Marvel right now. And it is. And I don't think that's for nothing. Like, does it read great 40 years later? Not necessarily, but it still feels like the biggest thing that was happening at the time. It, and feels, it, was. it feels like the biggest thing on paper, like described from a distance. But as it's happening, I didn't feel a moment of peril <laughs> in this. I didn't feel a moment of like, oh, this could spin out of control and have consequences. I felt a couple moments of joy, actually. I mean, yeah, the, the Rick Jones silver or uh, golden age stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that was a big one. So the uh, where we last left off is Captain Marvel, Wanda, Pietro are kidnapped by the Skrulls. The yep. Kree, what's going on with the Kree? The Kree are like fighting the Inhuman. I don't know. There's a lot going on. So it's, the Kree have gone to Earth to capture Inhumans. Yep. We use them as warriors in their war yep. against the Skrulls. Yep, yep. If you remember, the Kree sort of set the stage for the Inhumans to begin with. Yep. Avengers number 95 is, against all odds, 
an inhumans issue. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like wow, we need to get to space and deal with the scrolls and Cree. No, we stay on Earth, and that issue is called "Something Inhuman This Way Comes." It's by Roy Thomas, art by Neil Adams, inks by Tom Palmer, letters by Sam Rosen. Triton has never looked better and never been more interesting than when drawn by Neil. Oh Adams. yeah, I love that moment where he's like escaping people down by the dock. And he runs and just like. Knocks a pile of boxes on top of his pursuers. That was good. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, Page three fun, here. Fun the, the economy of captions. Yep. I thought you would love. Yeah, I did. It's, and then, it's 12 and, panels. And then they just throw it out the window and just go buck wild with those captions. Just yeah. words, words, words assaulting me. You know, honestly, yes. he could have put the same 12 caption box over and over again. And I wouldn't even notice. Because <laughs> I just, my eyes just like, I read start them. Blazing. And, like every word I read pushes the last one out of my head. Yeah, I did appreciate. So Triton shows up. He tells the Avengers their plight. He shares, uh, weirdly, the details we had read, almost like someone care- crafted this by hand. In, <laughs> He's like, um, almost like someone cares. <laughs> almost like... <laughs> like somebody cares for you. Yeah. Uh, in Amazing Adventures, or no, what was it? Uh, oh, geez. We just read Amazing Adventures. What's the one we read with Black Bolt? The weird one? Oh, I don't know. It was uh, issue eight. Uh, I'll look at it. You, you keep it's going. In my notes. No, I got it. I got it. Uh, Astonishing Tales. No, no, Astonishing no, Tales no. It was eight. Amazing Adventures. It was Amazing Adventures number eight. Oh, it was Amazing Adventures. Yeah, you're, the beast one. you're right. So, um, but he tells them the tale of Black Bolt, how he was, you know, sort of conscripted into this race riot uh, in San Francisco <laughs> yeah. and, and what's going on in the Great Refuge. Maximus has taken over again, of course. The Inhumans and the Avengers are just instantly like, yeah, let's go solve this. Let's go help the Inhumans. And Vision, I think rightly, is like, hey, have you all forgotten the Kree Scroll War? Yeah, and right. during this Inhumans issue, it feels that way. Yeah, for a long time, actually. Yeah. Um, the way that Roy Thomas connects the dots between why are we talking Inhumans when we have this cosmic war going on, I do think is interesting. Mm-hmm. We once we find Black Bolt and he kind of starts to get his memory back. There's a sequence of flashbacks. Yeah, Black these Bolt. are good. And yeah, they're very good, and they get a lot of background between him and Maximus growing up. And one of the things we learn is that actually Ronan and the Kree have been plotting with Maximus for decades it seems, yeah. um, or at a minimum years, uh, because they are having this covert meeting with Maximus where they're plotting to take down Black Bolt and usurp the Inhumans. And then at this time, the Inhumans will become wars or warriors, you know, in Ronan's new Kree empire. And Maximus is, of course, like, yeah, for power, I'll do this, no problem. Black Bolt discovers them. He fights the Kree warriors. <laughs> and uh, in no, fighting no. them off... When he, when he fight, I mean, you mean to say he finds Black Bolt and Ronan, he comes up to them and goes, hey... And that is enough to blast all of them into the sky. Yeah, well, okay, right. He, he fights them by speaking. Which I think he literally just goes, hey. Weekly. But, you know, his speech is so powerful that yeah. it, obviously, it, like, wards off the Kree, but it also, it kind of injures in Maximus, um, and it is the thing that drives him mad. So we get a layer to Black Bolt now of him basically being the reason and feeling the guilt for Maximus's madness, which I think actually helps explain why they keep Maximus around. You know, it's one of those, It's it, there's a lot of villains in the Marvel Universe. I think Loki falls into this camp of mm-hmm. like, yeah, they're your relative, but they try to kill you like every Thursday. Yeah, Why right, are you right. so lenient towards them? Um, and Maximus, you kind of get a little bit of an answer here because Black Bolt feels responsible for the way his brother is. Yeah, I guess that's interesting. Even though I like, I, I was confused by this because it doesn't, they didn't quite connect those dots for me that like, Maximus heard such a loud noise that he went insane and, you know, like... Yeah, I think that's the intent. Like he turned into a, you know, a babbling idiot because there was a, a boom once. <laughs> you know, like I, I, it wasn't like he 
witnessed something so horrifying or he was you know imprisoned in a black hole for a decade or you know whatever some something else it just it didn't quite make sense to me i mean have you ever put headphones in and you start playing your music and you've got your oh, volume was all the way so up loud and then uh i need to be institutionalized yeah yeah right no you've been mad ever since i just haven't had the heart to tell you yeah 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 it no was. one else has ever done that it's just <laughs> you there was that one time i had tlc playing on my iphone way too loud that would actually cure you of any ailments you had ah if it was tlc yeah no so you're good so, um, yeah, I think tying them together works. I think Maximus's red and yellow costume in this issue sucks. But otherwise, <laughs> yeah, it's very... He has like a, one of those um, little, what are they called? <laughs> Get the, the, the lines and the... We're never going to be partners in charades <sighs> after that. <laughs> What's that called? Spec- <laughs> it would not come Spectrograph. Well. Spectrometer. Spec something. Spectrograph? It's like on his forehead. He's got a screen on his forehead with the like wavy lines that you know. Okay. Um, oh, hey, it's a spectrogram. That's right. I thought I there was. There you go. Babbling like Mad Max. I would argue you were. <laughs> I definitely was not. Um, yeah. Anyway, the rest of this issue, Inhumans fight the Kree. Oh no! So the Vision does. I think it's Iron Man and the Vision fight over like needing to split up. And then they decide, well, well, Vision, you're the most logical. You assign the teams. And I love the teams that he decides. Which is <laughs> he like, stacks the deck so hard. It's Thor, great. Iron Man, and Vision, arguably the three strongest Avengers. I don't think yep. arguably. Definitely the three strongest Avengers. You go to space. Goliath, Captain America, and Rick Jones. You go to Adelan to fight with the Inhumans. Just yep. like, Rick Jones? Where the hell did he come from? Why is he here? That's just like saying like, Goliath, Captain America, and a goldfish that you pull out of the bowl and you carry flapping in your hand. I love to that Rick is around for this entire yeah, sequence oh God, and also the most important player he in does, this entire I mean, he does narrative. nothing here, but eventually, yeah, and it, it's sickening. So Rick Jones gets captured by the Kree at the end of this. Like, uh, he's, yeah, right. He's, taken, he's taken prisoners, and then the next two issues kind of are just about the, the Kree. The Kree and the Scroll War, like, it focuses back we on We actually space. get to space as well yep and we don't see tons of it but it's like it's uh it's that this what is it the kree are sending a battle fleet to earth because earth is like directly in the path of where they need to do something they're building a highway bypass uh right yeah something something like that and earth's in the way uh no i don't remember why earth yeah um it'll come to me later yeah 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 so it's um i don't know this dragged for me i (laughs) was not that interested in it i mean rick so here's what i here's what i really like yeah. about these two issues um a <laughs> couple things actually i think so in 96 you get so you get the big space battle and that's kind of what it is the one thing i like there is the scrolls kind of feeling like they've lost they send a nuclear warhead towards earth mm-hmm. and the avengers can't do anything except for captain america calls out to clint barton goliath and says it's up to you and if you even need to sacrifice your own life to stop that you must <laughs> so goliath ventures out to stop this nuclear warhead and we never see him again we don't know if he succeeds or not you know it's funny because i just kind of forgot what happened to him i was just like i completely moved on and then at the end he's on a ship with a nuke and we don't know if he's okay yeah in issue 97 at the very end when everything works out and everyone's celebrating they're just like ah all the avengers here safe and sound oh wait a minute where's goliath (laughs) and then uh they're like and then you just don't know so yeah that that works okay i mean that's i do also like Ronan's reaction to Cree soldiers bringing him Rick Jones, which is abject disappointment <laughs> that it's not an inhuman oh, or he's anything he's just valuable. Like, this guy? Why did you bring me this? 
Yeah, he's just like this, this. This looks like nothing. Why did? And I think one of the guys is like, "Oh, I just I grabbed him on impulse," and he's like, "I'll show you what I'll do on impulse." Like he's he's furious that they brought him. And then he's uh, <laughs> he. I love it because like Ronan is just channeling me in this moment. He's just like, "Yeah, oh, fine, get over here. I'm gonna make you my body slave." It's like, Ugh, what does that mean? <laughs> but I mean, Rick, Rick Jones' body slave is. I mean, that that just rolls right off the tongue for me. So. Yeah, but Rick kind of gets a spine here. Like, I feel I know. Like we haven't really seen him act this way, and all of a sudden he's sassy. He's talking back I to mean, Ronan. He's, sassy in he's the got way a lot of quips. Just, like, even even him fighting this, like, evil Kree, I'm just like, oh, come on, God. Like, you sound like such a nerd, because he's just like, here's one in your eye, buster. Like, to- <laughs> No, I think Rick starts to get kind of cool here. No, you're, I think Rick, he, this is the evolution. You're just doing this. total to, dweeb, and getting he's getting kind of Cool. Okay. So the the cover of Avengers 97 has the caption, Rick Jones conquers the universe. And this is the point where I snapped my tablet in half and quit the podcast. Right. Um, yeah. You did tell me you would not be continuing. So we do have an announcement here to drop at the hour and some mark. Um, Zach will be going on walkabout. <laughs> to start yeah. his counter podcast. Um, and reflect upon what has happened here with Rick Jones. Uh, but yeah, no, Avengers 97, Rick Jones gets prisoned, imprisoned with the Supreme Intelligence, mm-hmm. who reveals he was behind everything. Uh, it, this has all been his master plan behind the scenes. Literally everything down to like, uh, what is it, H. Warren Craddock, um, you know, and his political machinations on Earth, uh-huh. to basically just everything we've read in this Kree scroll War has been set up by the Supreme Intelligence, including what is to come, which is the Supreme Intelligence unlocking in Rick Jones the power of imagination. And <sighs> I gets, love this so much. It, it, I mean, it is, it, it is undeniably kind of fun. It it's very meta, this. and it's ahead of its time, and it's a pretty cool sequence. So what happens is a bunch of Kree warriors come busting in, right? Yeah, yeah, but just a second. You were just saying that whole thing about, like, the Supreme Intelligence planned all this? Did that, like... Yeah. Are you sure? I feel like I just missed that entirely. I had no idea. You were saying this, and I was like, oh. He... He tells us, he claimed that basically everything that happened to get to this point, to get Rick Jones here, was of his okay. own doing. I, that just, like, that was news to me. I was going to play it cool and just, like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But I want the audience to know how little of a good job I did on this. How okay. <laughs> well, little interest you were expressing. In well, I mean, I, I picked up a lot of stuff. I mean, he does talk, the, the, the interesting thing is, you know, he gives Rick Pot, Rick Pines. Rick Jones. Gives these... Rick Pot? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, we read two different comments. <laughs> God, uh, Rick, <laughs> Rick Jones, you know, he unlocks his mind and he ex- explains that it's like the Kree and the Skrull hate each other because they have reached the they've reached the absolute peak of their evolution and they both have stagnated evolutionarily. But they both think that they are the top top dog <laughs> of the other yep. two and they hate each other. But humans still have a long way to go. And he basically just brought Rick along to the, you know, the the ultimate point of their evolution, which he says all humans will get to someday. Which, is like, Which I'm excited to get to because what happens yeah. is when these Kree warriors bust in, Rick uses the power of imagination to bring forth Golden Age superheroes from Marvel Comics into the world to yep. fight these Kree warriors. And he actually imagines he's like, Captain America's easy. And this is literally from the comics. Yeah, he's Rick saying, like, the, oh, all my favorite heroes from my, you know, the comics I've yeah. read. Like, he read Cap comics. He's like, Namor's easy because I know them both now. But then he pulls forth a bunch of, like, the original Vision. Uh-huh, and yeah. I can't even remember that. Like, the angel is yeah, there. Oh, I mean, the angel is the best because it was just like, oh, I remember that guy. He used to strangle everyone. <laughs> 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 he would just yeah. sneak up behind people and strangle them. 
Yeah, but this concept is one that I think is extremely fun. The oh, idea yeah. that yeah, like cool. the heroes that live in our heads that we can actually manifest them in reality in ways that are like meaningful and tangential. And this literalizes that concept um, in a in a very comic book way. Yeah. But just playing with it, to me, I had forgotten they even did this here. I thought Rick was just going to like power up. Um, but pulling forth his heroes from comics that he read as a kid and like having this limited burst of power that they can use to take down the Kree is is a really awesome concept. This is it. This is like a deep, weird pull. <laughs> um but you do you know the adventure zone i've actually the, never the, the experienced any aspect of the adventure zone. this this is actually like very reminiscent of the finale of the adventure zone and i don't want to say anything because it's a cool journey to get there but like if you yeah. uh if you know about kind of the final battle of the adventure zone it's very uh <laughs> it's very similar in in uh in ideas also endgame it's got a little of that endgame steez to it right you know the the moment yeah. where all your heroes sure. oh i mean if uh if you haven't seen endgame by now that that is a very vague big spoiler. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I like this. I'm you know mad about Rick Jones, but uh, the other big reveal at the end of this issue is you know, how do we kind of start tying some of these loose ends? Yeah, is yeah. One H. Warren Craddock. This is very on the podium. Funny. I like this, and he's doing his anti-alien speech, saying they're not like us. They don't belong in America. And the Kree Supreme Intelligence, I believe, um, returns him to his true form. Yeah. Which is a scroll? Yeah, he's been an alien all this time. Which I don't so quite the, understand, like why the scrolls would be railing against aliens because they're aliens. I don't, so I, not only is he a scroll, well, he's he's trying to. Oh no, I know, I know what they're doing. In anger, I'm, I'm going to cut this out because I sounded dumb. So don't don't even respond to it. Sure thing, dummy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I just I said that and then I immediately figured out what was happening. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, she oh, and he gets it. killed. Like he, the, the crowd just tears him apart, which is oh, kind the of crowd tears him apart because yeah. now he is an alien, which he has taught them to hate. He has mm-hmm. encouraged them to hate. Yeah, uh, we also thing. learn that not only is he just a scroll, he's the mysterious missing fourth scroll mm-hmm. from Fantastic Four number two. So Roy gets back on his continuity grind here and pulls out the fourth scroll, which I was pretty impressed by. I it's fun. Say. Yeah, that, that's a fun detail. I like that because yeah. it doesn't. You don't really need to know that, but if you do, you'd be like, "Oh wow, let me pull out my issue of Fantastic Four number two and you know read that again." Yeah. So if if you're coming away from these issues, kind of like, wait, what actually happened in the pre scroll war? Like, did the pre <sighs> come out better? Did the scroll? Uh, I don't. I mean, I think maybe the thing is like the yes. art feels fine, but I think the art is. I think it's a split between Roy Thomas not knowing how to really frame this in a clear, cohesive, like flowing way. As well as the art not making it super clear. Because we, we talked about, they've done eight issues of this, and it just feels like, I mean, it's the longest arc we've seen so far by a long shot. And it's still just like, what happened? It was really messy. And it's just like, you had a lot of time to cover all this. And it still just feels like kind of a, a blur of plot, 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 plot. Yeah, it's it's a little too easy to come away from and not know what you just read. Yeah, which, which is not a not a compliment. I mean, that that's like um, such a. It's comic interesting. Book thing. It's a lot. It's a lot of interesting ideas. It's probably too many. Uh, but it's like the things I like about it are definitely Roy pulling from continuity mm-hmm. in ways that I think are again like because we have this, we have a history to the medium now. We have a history to Marvel Comics now that you can pull from and experiment with. It's start, it's feeling different too because it's different creative teams doing that. It's not just Stan and Jack referencing something, a story they had already told, which feels of a piece. It's Roy going back and referencing something Stan and Jack did and now spinning it out in like, you know, a subplot 
of his own ongoing narrative. Yep. So I think that's why it feels like, okay, a turning of the page, um, while simultaneously feeling like big, messy Avengers story, which yeah. is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's like one of the worst things you could say about some of these big comics, because I feel this about some of the DC events too. I read it and I don't remember it. Yeah, like I, I had yeah. that with uh, Infinity Crisis. I think that was the one or Infinite, Infinite? Crisis. Infinite Crisis where it was like. Oh, you don't even remember the name. Yeah, I, I read it and I was like, yeah, this is enjoyable enough. And then afterwards I was like, what happened there? Like it just was like five issues and so much stuff happened that I. You Lacey, know. Zach, there used to be a multiverse. <laughs> yeah, right. And no, now, I mean, I followed no. it. Like I knew what was happening in the moment. I just. Right. It just was, you know, it's, it's information overload. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. But besides that, I think a very good year, and it got me very excited for the future of Marvel because, in a way, I I don't remember the seventies that well, which doesn't like bode well for them. But I really liked everything we read here, and I really liked all the new stuff. Like specifically, I kind of liked stuff moving in a new direction. And we're gonna... yeah. I think the nice thing about the seventies, which is not my favorite decade in Marvel comics, but my, the nice thing about it is there's a lot of change of pace and there's a lot of testing and new ideas, which I think when you're doing a reading club like this makes it more interesting because if you don't like something, it's not going to stagnate for as long because there's going to be a lot of change coming up. Um, And if you do like stuff, you know, like Tomb of Dracula, obviously you can continue with that as Marvel's going to really expand that genre. Um, You know, we're going to see some Werewolf by Night coming up and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's a really interesting, pretty um, transitional, but also transformative time in Marvel history. Yeah. And yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be here for the ride. So if you have questions, thoughts on the issue, you can always reach out to us at my marvelous year at Gmail. Yeah. At oh, this is, this is something com. I want to mention. Like you can still send your thoughts. Uh, some people, you know, they feel like they're slightly left out of the conversation by not being in the Slack. Uh, you know, you can still comment on the comic book Herald stuff. I check those. There's a, you know, comment form for every episode and, uh, also just sending in your thoughts through an email. Like we read all the emails we get. So, well, one of us does. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, you just have to guess, guess who. Yeah. So our poll for 1972 is going to be what you're most looking forward to in the bronze age of comics. Cause we, we did something similar. I just wanted to distinguish because 1970s poll was, what are you looking forward to? Yeah. It's, it's somewhat <laughs> similar. Age. Um, but, but that was like specific, like creators in genres of comics. This that was, was more like, Marvel specific. I was thinking this to- is more medium specific. Yeah, th- this was me thinking today, like, what what is the Bronze Age? Like, what differentiates the Bronze Age mm-hmm. from the Silver Age, you know, and, like, what changes? And so, you know, what, what changes that we didn't see in the Silver Age that we're going to see in the Bronze Age? Yeah, absolutely. And to? you can vote on this over at patreon.com slash this year. But the poll is going to be, are you most looking forward to the trend of diverse superheroes, social relevance, genre comics, a la horror, team-ups, or a more writers and artists? So just, you know, more creators in the room. Yeah, that the fact that like Marvel just has that many more issues coming out written by that many more comics. It's not I, I mean, Stan Lee has definitely been uh somewhere like his role has been taken over by Roy Thomas of just like he's everywhere. Yeah, he's writing right. everything. But there's also still just like now we just have like it feels a dozen other writers all working at the same time and you know, more than that for artists and so. stuff. Definitely. If you want to see the comics we're going to read, you can go on over to MyMarvelThisYear.com. You can also find the list in the show notes or in the comic book herald email or at Patreon. Oh, I was waiting for you to say .com. I thought you were doing like a long pause there. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Got dates for us? Yep. 
Uh, so this issue is coming out on July 29th. If you want to get feedback into us for our variant cover episode for us to read out, if you have any questions or uh, thoughts about 1972, please get that please get that into us by August 6th. Music for my Marvel this year is by Disaster Piece. You can find all of Disaster Piece's music on music playing streaming services online. That's true. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your support. And we will see you next year. See you next year. Bye.